Welcome to Explore FI Canada, where we investigate the financial independence topics important to you. Join us as we learn how to optimize our lives, save money, and invest for our future. We'll go coast to coast interviewing experts and chatting with Canadians about their inspirational FI journeys. EQ Bank's Savings Plus account is Explorify Canada's favorite bank account. It's not hard to see why. It functions as both a checking and savings account, offers an everyday high interest rate, free Interact e-transfers, and so much more. Visit exploreficanada.ca forward slash EQBank to open your account today. Chrissy, have you got your canoes and kayaks out of the garage over there? No, thankfully we're doing okay, but I know a lot of people in BC are not doing as well as we are. Yeah, a shout out to all the listeners that have reached out to us, thinking of us particularly, and I can announce that uh, we are very, very fortunate where we are here in Victoria, that we haven't been uh, impacted. There were some minor things last week, but again, you know, to date this recording a bit, it's raining a lot again today. So I am sending out my thoughts and my best wishes to all the people that have been affected around us here in BC, and and uh, I hope they can all recover safely. Yeah, I agree. It's been a tough couple of weeks for a lot of people, and uh, a lot of hard work has been done to restore roads and uh, clean out homes, and hopefully the rain won't be too bad this time, and we'll be able to make it through and uh, see the other side and uh, dry out and clean up. Yeah, more importantly, the guests we have on the show today, they might not be getting their Amazon orders because if they've landed in the Vancouver port, they may be stuck here for a while and not <laughs> getting all the way out to Ontario for Jonathan's, uh, you know, his holiday festivities. Jonathan, welcome to Explorify Canada. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here with us today. Thank you. It's uh, great to be here with you guys today. And luckily, my wife and I have done all our Christmas shopping already. So everything <laughs> actually has been delivered. So, you know, the the disruptions and stuff, yeah, it, it's definitely a, uh, a very tragic thing that's happened. Uh, but, you know, it's, you know, once in a thousand year type thing or once in a hundred year type thing that's happening. So very interesting to see. So, you know, 2020, 2021, uh, you know, come December, it'll actually be nice to push it off to the side a little bit more, right? For more than so. one reason. Just, let me just throw this out there because I, I grew up in the Lower Main land which is sort of the vancouver surrounding area and i had no idea that the sumas area abbotsford that got the worst of the flooding that was actually a lake mm -hmm. that they pumped out in like the 1920s yeah. and it's like wow what a big fight against you know mother nature and natural causes like that's it's a tough battle to win they've been doing it for so long and i had no idea that was used to be a lake me too i didn't know either it's <laughs> like no wonder it's flooding it's like really fighting mother mother nature with a few pumps and some levees and dikes you know i don't yeah. know how long we can hold up against that yeah exactly so anyway i'm i'm gonna date this episode because you just really impressed me jonathan because it's november 25th and you're done for christmas i am so you're like 20 days ahead of me <laughs> it's been one of those things that my wife and i have been trying to do for many many years now is actually stay ahead of the ball with everything and to make sure that we actually get everything done and everything that we need in stock because uh you know it is it's one of those things lately that it's been like oh wait a minute that's gonna take 
two months to get here. And it's like, but it's December 1st. It's not going to get here on time. So, and then especially with my kids, like I do have three little kids. So they're lovely things that they're actually deciding that they actually want are definitely changing now. So it's like, they're like very specific and it's like, wait a minute, that thing doesn't even come out yet. Why are you deciding that that thing is what you really need? So that's why it's, uh, we, we've definitely been uh, been on top of things. And uh, online ordering has been our friend. But uh, at the same time, ordering local for a lot of other weird things has been good because then it's like we need time for artisans to actually create the things that we're going to be bringing in. So, so that's and, amazing. Uh, that, yeah. Well, you reminded me that this episode is going to be our holiday episode. We're going to be dropping it in December and it will be our last episode until we come back in the new year. So just so our, our listeners know, we'll be gone for a little while until about mid-January and then we'll be back in your earbuds at that time. Now, you mentioned that you've got three kids and you sounds like you've got a nice Christmas plan for them. But you mentioned in your email to us that it wasn't always this way in your life. You mentioned that you started from nothing and parents losing everything when you're a child. So can you go a little bit into that story and let us know your beginnings? Yeah, definitely. So my whole story basically started, um, my parents were entrepreneurs. Um, my dad was a uh, entrepreneur. He owned his own custom printing shop, made beautiful large format prints and all that type of stuff. And then my mom was a graphic designer. And, you know, they went through everything. But in the 80s and 90s, there was the the big transition, one, to going to digital for a lot of stuff, and two, just a bunch of the, the recessions and ups and downs of everything. And, you know, my parents lost everything. We lost our house. We lost the businesses. We literally were, you know, going and started for nothing. Now, as a kid up, I didn't really notice it very much. My parents tried to stay sheltered. But again, money wasn't a topic that we talked about at all. As long as everything was happening, and as long as things were still going along, it was fine. You know, when I started working for myself, like I started working when I was 12 years old, you know, you're doing the paper route, doing all the other stuff. But it was just kind of our main culture that we would just help the family out. So all the money that I would be generating from that stuff would go to the family and that would help them buy. So, you know, it was just kind of the whole atmosphere that we had. But I did see a lot of different things like, you know, um, parents having their their businesses and, you know, even myself, you know, where we would go on vacation. Now, we never traveled very much, but we would go up north, like up to northern Ontario or the Bruce Peninsula, and we'd spend time with family at a cottage or even like when we had the store and everything like that, we would be going out to dinners or we, we like myself, I'd have horseback riding lessons or anything like that. But again, I was still very young, like I was seven, eight years old. And then when I was about nine, ten, that's when things started started going a little bit, a little bit haywire, you know, and then we lost everything that way. So, Mm -hmm. so it was a, an interesting time, you know, but it didn't deter me. It almost made me 
more um, passionate and more interested into exploring the options of what can I do? How can I make money? What were my options? So to give a little bit of backstory of where I am today versus where I, I was is that was my childhood. That was my upbringing. I actually left my house and left uh, where I was living when I was 16 and went off to college. Now, the college thing is a whole nether thing that uh, my parents did didn't really want me to do because they always pegged me. It's like, you know, uh, you know, myself right now, they pegged me as, oh, go into computer science. Don't go into an art. Go into something business, marketing, finance, accounting, that type of stuff where you can get a job, work at that job. And, you know, build up because they did like they were both the artisans. They both Mm -hmm. had their own business. They, you know, generated that type of thing. And then it all came crumbling down. And uh, like I I saw it, it broke my dad. Like it's he never went back to work full time. So I, I could see the the impact it had on them. But to their dismay, I, uh, <laughs> I went to share, I went to college and, uh, got my photography degree. But at that time, I had already known that I had wanted to be a photographer. It was in me. Like I started my studio when I was in high school and I was co-oping. And so even like my first, my first week at college, I actually had to go up to the prof and, or like the, uh, the coordinator and the, the course lead and everything and be like, I'm not going to be here for the first week, week and a half of school. And he's like, well, you have to be, you have to understand the cameras. You have to do this and you have to go. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be on a photo shoot in Miami with my mentor. Is that okay? And, uh, he was kind of like, uh, yeah, I really have no choice. Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was one of those give takes because like I had started work so early and like, you know, I worked in grade 12 newspaper delivery or sorry, 12 years old newspaper delivery, all that type of stuff. By grade nine, I was a janitor working every night uh, with a company. So going around from place to place as a janitor, um, working in the janitorial sector. And then I got into food service and then I was apprenticing chefs. So I did multiple things all through my high school. And then by grade 12, I opened my own studio because I knew I was going to go into photography against my parents' wishes. And that kind of got me into college. And then, yeah, my professors right off the gate were like, huh, okay, well, sure, you really know what you're doing, whatever, whatever, we'll see, we'll see. And it was a two-year program, so I did that. I ended up graduating top of my class. My college that I went to actually became a client of mine during that time, and they've been a client of mine for the past 22 years. And so it's been a really good good transition and a good career that I've had. Now, not to say that this hasn't had bumps as well, because I graduated college in 2000. So right after, you know, the lovely downturn, a whole bunch of other things happening, a lot of the arts and culture kind of just crashed and everything there. So my parents were like, okay, John, you know, we went through a recession, we lost our businesses, we lost everything don't do the same thing. And I'm like, I'll be fine. Everything's good. Like my a studio that I was working with wanted to partner with me, all this type of stuff. And they're like, no, just go get a real job. Get a real job. Whatever you can do, get a real job. So I'm like, okay, let me see. Let me weigh my options. I went out. I actually did get a real job. 
I went in by the time I was 19, I was a senior executive at a international manufacturing company flying all over the States, setting up showrooms, setting up uh, multi-million dollar contracts for ad campaigns and all this type of stuff. And then three years into it, I was making a really good wage. So for like early 2000s, you know, we're just about six figures. I was like 20 years old doing wow. everything. And I'm like, I'm going to quit. And my wife, well, my, my fiance at that time, she was like, uh, what are you doing? You're going to quit? <laughs> and I was like, yep. And she's like, okay, well, let's see how this goes. I'm just graduating. She's gra like, she's just graduating at that time. And I'm quitting my full-time job. We had just bought, built our house. So that closed like the year before. And we were just about to have our first son. And she's like, and you're quitting. And I'm like, yep. And she's like, all right, go ahead. Let's do it. Let's, get <laughs> what a wife. let's keep going. <laughs> I know. And you know what? Like, honestly, without her support and without a bunch of things, I would still be working in corporate world. And, uh, but yeah, definitely having the support of my wife really helped advance everything and free up a lot of stuff. And so then like really for like the past 15 years, it's been working on my entrepreneurial side, my creative endeavors, my business uh, ownership and my multiple developments within that. And then just growing my, uh, my own personal brand and business that way. Mm. And has your wife been working this whole time or is, is, you're, are you a one-income household? How, how has that been working? So when I was starting out, I was traveling a lot. And a lot of people can understand this too, especially in the creative field or in the corporate world, is like we had my first son. I was traveling every second week somewhere in the US or Canada. And I was going on to productions and all this type of stuff. And I was just trying to build my name build it, build it, build it, build it. And luckily my wife was very supportive and like she is a, she's a nurse. Um, she specializes in gerontology, but that was shift work. And when we had our first son, it was one of those things that it's like, okay, doing shift work, trying to find 12 hours of daycare didn't really gel. Um, but one thing, she's always been a teacher and an educator as well. So she actually got a professorship early on. And so she's a professor of nursing, which again has helped myself um, have freedom because we have the one steady income that we know is going to keep coming. And being a professor, you know, it gives us lots of free time and everything like that. And I'm allowed to kind of come up with these crazy ideas and be like, <laughs> hey, let's do this. Let's do that and uh, go forward. Well, yeah, I think that's important to note that you did have that steady income coming in because it is hard when you've got kids uh, to make that leap into something that's a little unknown and unpredictable as far as income. Definitely. Without, like, without have, like, I think it's been instrumental, especially within the, our success and our journey to where we are now with, um, within our money situation and with being basically financially independent. Having one steady income has given, like, even my wife, Andrea, she says all the time, it's just like, John, you know, if you think you can do it and you think, this will be good for us. Like even we just had a conversation today about an acquisition that we're doing that she's like, yeah, go for it, whatever, you know, let, let's give it a go. If it doesn't work out in a year and a half, it doesn't work out, but let's, let's look at it. Let's do it. And what's the worst that's going to happen. And, you know, 
it's we've kind of designed our lifestyle and that's a really big thing that i see and like i like to talk to people about and i you know talk to as many people in both the creative field as well as um the educational world is creating your lifestyle like creating what you want to do and you know not waiting to the end not waiting till retirement before you actually get to experience stuff like one thing like i didn't travel internationally or anywhere until i was in my early well i would say late teens early 20s and my kids before they were one years old were on planes and going to different countries and you know experiencing different things like even like my oldest son just recently due to covid and everything he's just like okay dad it's time we start going visiting different places again and he's 14 he's been to like multiple different places but it's like that culture that experience has been instrumental in their upbringing but also in designing where we are right now and where we want to be so we needed to actually set up all our finances and set up our lifestyles so we could actually accomplish what we were doing and what we wanted to for the kids i want to jump back a little bit here because uh you have a really interesting story and, and i'm gonna go back to childhood a little bit because you talked about your parents being entrepreneurs and business owners and it's an interesting subject for me because I like to think of myself as an entrepreneur, but I'm really not very good at it because my experience with childhood was my father attempted to be an entrepreneur, but he was never a very successful entrepreneur. So it left a bit of a bitter flavor in my mouth, if you will, for that whole thing. It all, it almost felt very risky to me. And that's kind of made me, even though Chrissy may disagree with me because of all the fun little investments I have, it's made me very conservative in a lot of ways. And especially when it comes to business, and I'm going through this right now with a partner, we're, we're thinking about starting a business and I'm very trepidatious. So what I want to dig into a little bit is how that affected your mindset, because it sounded like, you know, when your parents were successful, there was good times and spending. And when there wasn't, you know, you had to really reel that in. And I've known people like that where they're wildly successful and very flashy. And then all of a sudden they're broke. And, and I can't wrap my head around that. So what, how did that influence you? Because clearly you've become an entrepreneur and a successful one, but how did those early days kind of frame that mindset for you? Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things that the early days of my childhood kind of was a crash course in everything that you shouldn't do. <laughs> so everything, including like cash flow and money management and everything like that. I didn't learn any of that from my parents because it's like I saw everything that shouldn't happen. Like your business is failing, so put more money at it. Your business keeps failing. Okay, take out loans to pay right. for that. Oh, oh, you need to buy more equipment to get to that next level. Okay, well, take out mortgage on your mm -hmm. house to go do that. So then it, like, it's like this house of cards that all of a sudden crumbles. So it was, it's almost like it was a blessing for me because it's like, it was one of those things that I saw everything that could go wrong and I made sure and developed everything that I was doing to make sure that it wouldn't happen. And that's like been 
crazy thoughts all the way through and every venture that I do right mm. now is like, how do I make this? So there's fail safes left, right and center. So if one thing goes, we can do X, Y, Z to actually keep things afloat. Or if this goes here, we have multiple things. Like as of right now, even like I've built out what we have. So we have multiple revenue streams like beyond belief and we have fail safes and redundancies that my parents never had. And then also because I'm a creative and because I'm a photographer and that is my mainstay. And a lot of things in college and in schools, especially in the creative fields, you're never taught about the business side of it. And I was never taught about it either in college. So I did major self-study into understanding businesses, how they went. And then talking with people because like even myself like I have learning disability for dyslexia and dysgraphia which is it is what it is and I've learned to adapt that from writing and everything into communication skills so understanding and talking with people and learning and listening was like my biggest asset especially through high school and grade school and everything like that so I continued that on so I would talk to as many people as possible go for a lunch, go talk to somebody, you know, talk to other business owners and figure out like even the people that failed, why they failed. So then like now as a creator and um, I actually get to go and create videos and segments with other entrepreneurs and it's actually almost like a little self-education. It's like, you know, I get to go talk to this person that had 10 businesses fail, but then is you know, 11th one, he made $300 million on. So it's like after the video and after the cameras go off and everything like that, I actually get to have like those 15, 20 minute casual conversations. But the act of, of listening and asking questions and actually engaging in those things really propelled us to the next level. So that's where it's like that stepping stones. If my parents were successful, I, chances are I wouldn't be where I am today. And that's, it's a really weird paradox because it's like, like even like myself right now, I'm financially independent, but my mom with her mindset of money management and everything, like she's 30 years older than me, she still can't retire. And as much as I try to help her and coach her, her money mindset is in a different place. And so that's where it's like, if I didn't have the, those experiences, I wouldn't be able to build the concrete house that I have right now versus the house that was basically cards and paper that just blew away. You bring up a really interesting sort of a point there. And I think it's something, especially listeners that are interested in any kind of entrepreneurial pursuits, is you have to be totally okay with failing. And it's a hard mindset. Like I don't, I'm not very good at failing. Like I have, I'm pretty competitive and I like to kind of hedge my bets so that I'm going to win, right? Or not necessarily win, but succeed, right? So that doesn't make me a very good entrepreneur. And growing up, the discussion of the mindset was, you know, you do your best to try and succeed. It wasn't like failure was an option type thing where I think you really have to become good at and accept it and talk about it and learn from it to move on. And it sounds like that's kind of what helped you uh, through experiencing those failures. And then were you able to talk about it as a family or did it become, you know, a point of contention? It was definitely one of those things that we never really talked about 
money was not a topic that we talked about. It's interesting because money in my family and with my kids and everything like that, it's something we talk about daily, if not weekly. Like it's just casual conversations here and there. Um, but with my parents, it wasn't a taboo subject, but it was just never brought up. And then with my wife's family, it was quite opposite. Like my wife's family, it was a very much like a taboo topic. Like nobody talked about it. You didn't talk about money. You didn't talk about your jobs. You didn't talk about your salaries. You'd talk nothing <laughs> about it. And it's interesting, but like, this is where it's like listening to people and finding not the success stories all the time but also hearing about the failures is just as important totally. because it's funny because it's like a lot of people would say I'm very risky in what I do, like being an entrepreneur, being a creative and growing, you know, multiple businesses at the same time. But I see myself as being very risk adverse <laughs> because I know it's like, if one thing fails, like for example, my clientele is very diverse. I have clientele in the agriculture sector. I have clientele mm -hmm. in the education sector. I also have client in the, the pro athlete and professional sports sector. So very recession proof clientele. But likewise, if sports goes down, my education sector chances are will pick up. If my education sector goes down, agriculture is always there because agriculture is a continual sector. So that's in my creative, like in my photography and content creation world. But then to offset that, I've vertically integrated as well, where it's like we own a large format printing shop, which also supplies the same clientele, but in the next generation, like the next round of things. So chances are we'll create photography for them. And then the print shop will utilize that in the print campaigns and whatnot. So, so creating yourself vertically really helped out that way. And then likewise, it's like if I become not the quote unquote, like flavor of the month photographer or whatnot. And it's like, oh yeah, you, you're not really great anymore or anything like that. I actually own a equipment rental company and the support staff for the younger generation of photographers to grow up. So it's like, I've integrated myself into the education sector and everything. So it's all risk adverse that way, because like if one goes down, the other could pick up or vice versa. And, you know, yeah, there's been some flops for sure. There always is. But like at the same time, it's like for me, one thing my wife has always been very important about and very strict about was we need to always have the amount of cash on hand if you're going to lose it. So, for example, like right now, we're acquiring a couple like location trailers and stuff like that. So nice vintage ones, very fun little things mm. that, you know, it's like a little hobby that I want to do. But we have enough cash on hand to buy those cash. So if they don't actually work out, we can just sell them at a very minimal loss. But the loss, we already know we have X amount of rentals. So it's either way it's a wash mm -hmm. so that's where it's like not going into debt to get to the next level and not always thinking oh what you have isn't good enough to actually get you to that next level 
Well, I think it's so impressive how you came from the background you came from with parents that use debt in a very unhealthy and unsustainable way to where you are now, where you've got all these backups and backups on backups. You know, you're very careful. You're quite conservative with how you manage your finances. And that's quite a massive turnaround. And so I'm wondering at what point does FI come into your journey? Because you mentioned that you're financially independent already. At what point did you discover financial independence? And then when did you reach it? Was it already, had you already reached it when you discovered the whole community? It was very interesting because I was looking for something. And I think it was, it was probably about four years ago um, that, you know, it was just one of those times where it's like, I was already had multiple businesses. We were like, I had my print shop, I had my equipment rental company, I had my production studio, but we were in the process of acquiring um, my actual physical studio. And it was one of those things where we were like, okay, well, you know, we had gotten to the point where we had paid off our mortgage and that was something. So then we were, I was like, well, what next? The entrepreneur in me is always about what next, what's next, what we have to do. So I started listening to more podcasts and more people, you know, and then it's like, I was down in the US working with uh, some clients down there and they're like, oh, you got to check out like Dave Ramsey and Chris Holgan and all those guys. And, you know, you, you get into that and then listen to some of that stuff and then just kind of went down the rabbit hole. But then it's like, for me, it was one of those things like taking into consideration all the different things that we were doing already, that it's like we kind of I was already following the path down to financial independence prior to even knowing what financial, mm -hmm. like the whole fire and FI community was. But then it's like, I was in the car a lot. So it's like, you know, driving back and forth, Toronto, all the different locations on airplanes. And it's like, podcasts are your like favorite thing during they that are. time. So yes. it's like, how many? It's like, oh man, it's not Monday and this podcast didn't come out yet. I actually have to listen to a repeat of something. And it, it just continually kind of went through and kept going and going. But yeah, so like if I look back, you know, it was just one of those one things. It's like my financial advice would come to me and he's like whoa john like you know you guys are already saving a lot like you already have these things and it's like it's like when we you know acquired like our studio building and when we acquired like we decided it's like okay well for our family it was important that we had vacations in the summer but we didn't actually like any of the cottages we went to or anything like that so we actually acquired a cottage for us where my grand well up on the bruce peninsula where my grandparents were and it's you know it was just starting to build these building blocks and then it was like what was it probably during covid or just prior to covid when uh, we decided to look at things again and i was like went to my wife i'm like you know we don't really have to work anymore and she's like but why would we quit? She's like, I'm a professor. I teach. I get 44 days vacation. She gets like two and a half <laughs> months off. And she's like, John, and you're a photographer and you own these other businesses. Like two of your businesses, you don't even, all you do is go in and look at the books and talk to the accountant. You don't even do anything and you get paid your dividends. And uh, she's like, well, why would we quit? Let's change our mindset a little bit to let's just go out. We've been doing all these experiences with the kids. Let's just continue that. 
And yeah, we have the big savings rate and yeah, we're chunking away at it, but now we're focused on building experiences to go forward and, you know, know where we're going to be with the kids and making those memories. And that's kind of the most important thing for us is because like, I like what I do. And it's funny because it's like, if I was retired, and this is what I even ask some of my students or uh, in the photography world or uh, either business owners I meet, I'm like, so if you were retired, what would you do? And like when people ask me, well, what would you do? And I'm like, well, I would actually probably, you know, work with really good food and work with, <laughs> you know, resorts and stuff like that and like go to those things. And I'm like, wait a minute, I already do that and I get paid to do that. <laughs> That's How lucky amazing. are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like I've crafted my, we've crafted our lifestyle around what we like to do. So everything that we would do if we were fully retired, we're doing now. Just yes, there is headaches and stuff like that, but that's like, that's normal life. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, you can't go through life without having any ups and downs because, you know, it's like one of those things. It's like being manic, either manic happy or manic depressed. You know, <laughs> you can't be one all the time. Uh, it's just not healthy. So that's why it's like, really, it's like looking at what I would do if I was retired and just crafting it. But yeah, it, it was insane. And it's like, even like, you know, going back just uh, last week, there was stuff happening with my wife's schedule and all that type of stuff and our kids and everything. And then we were trying to figure out what do you want to do? And I could ask her and I could be totally honest with her and say, listen, if you're not comfortable taking on these extra projects because you know they're going to be longer term or they're going to be big and take up too much time and we're not going to be able to travel, then just leave your job. Mm -hmm. Like, that's it. And she's like, yeah, I know. So if she could go in and talk to her coordinator and her uh, supervisor, well, the, her boss, basically, and basically be like, listen, this is the way it is. Like, this is being too much during COVID. This was great. But at the same time, now it's too much. If you don't like it, I got to look at my options. Yeah. How amazing is that? The power of exactly. Mm -hmm. it, it gives you the ultimate freedom, right? So, but we're always careful too, because the, the one biggest thing that I've seen too many, because like, I happen to actually live in the big tech sector in Kitchener-Waterloo, if everybody knows where that is. So like mm -hmm. I've seen BlackBerry and RIM and all that type of stuff go up and down and all of the, the crazy startups. And I've actually got to work with a lot of it because working in the educational sector. The one thing that we've always done is we've always lived within our means. And that is hands down the biggest thing. Like my wife, she still drives a 12-year-old car. And my car is, what, eight years old. My van is, for my work, is even five years old, just off lease this year and all that type of stuff. Now, mind you, it's like, it's one of those things, like, we know, we take care of them, we maintain them, they'll last for a long time. We bought really good vehicles. You know, same with our houses. We didn't buy huge and extravagant we kept mm -hmm. within our budget because we were able to build them same with our cottage like we got our cottage at the peak but at the same time it's like we knew when we were buying our cottage we had set out 
parameters which we wanted until it hit all those parameters we didn't move forward but then we bought a cottage that we could actually buy basically cultivate and force appreciation on and now our cottage is worth five times more than what we bought it for so it's it's been all those things like living within our means and you know staying within that and you know we do have lifestyle creep we do you know it's a typical typical thing but at the same time we know even if we like i totally lost my job we've always lived off one income and it's always been my wife's income that we've been able to live off of because mine's the fun money and then (laughs) hers is the uh the steady paycheck that we always know can't wait till my wife listens to this episode because I'm trying to convince her of the same thing. <laughs> so thank you, Jonathan. Um, I got two things I want to pick out here from uh, what we've just been talking about here. First of all, really good point for the listeners that really struck me is that you're describing multiple streams of income from your equipment rentals, from you know the studio, from different things. I think people really forget how risky it is to just have a job with one source of income. And there's lots of people that are lucky to have a stable job that they feel confident it will last. Some people maybe don't have that stability, but it really comes down to one source of income is is quite risky. So I'm really impressed with your story. And and I think that really aids to to sway people sometimes into entrepreneurship so that they can develop multiple streams of income. And anybody on the FI journey with your investing, with real estate, with dividends, whatever you want to choose, whether it's commercial property, you're investing in, in businesses and local businesses, you can start developing those multiple streams to give you, you know, protection, risk protection. For sure. And like, that is a very big thing. Like, even like myself, it's like, we own real estate, we have, we own multiple businesses, we own personal properties, and we also have physical, like, property and investments. So it's, yeah. it's, it's all those assets, right? Yeah. So the second question I have, or thing that I've been pulling out of this discussion, and this is going to be a super hard question, but Chrissy, I think we need to start pulling this into the show more because we didn't address this in our talk with Liquid, and we really, really should have. And it's something I've been thinking a lot more about recently, and it's sort of coming up in some of the books that I'm reading and things like that, is that a lot of us don't think about how much a role luck has played in our successes yeah. and our failures. So it's a hard question to answer because it's a very introspective type question. But Jonathan, what role has luck played in your journey towards FI or to FI? Luck has definitely been an important thing. And I would almost say it's, it's not necessarily just luck but it's stepping stones. Because this is the, you know, a lot of people ask me because like, uh, for example, I was giving a lecture a couple of weeks ago at a conference and we were talking and they were like, well, how, how do you get to that point where you're working with these amazing clients? And I'm like, it's all been stepping stones and there's been very pivotal moments. Like for example, like I was working with doing photography and creative content for a health and safety agency. Well, the creative director there left and started working at the major sports entertainment, well, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. And he just happened to call me because I did the work with 
him before and was actually really good at it. So then he brought me on there. And then that, I started out shooting architecture and food. And then we got into pro athletes. And then it kept growing and growing and growing and growing to the point where now it's like, it's just part of what I do. But had I not had that art director leave, it was kind of like serendipitous. And my wife always says to me, when we're pursuing like different businesses or acquisitions or anything like that, she's like, if it's not right, it's not going to happen. Like there is like that little bit of, like you said, it's luck, right? Or that little bit of, you know, it just happening. And like my wife's very, very conscious of this. And it's weird because it's like, I'm more very, this is my spreadsheet. This is my books. (laughs) This is what I need to do. This is the atmosphere that I need to create. But she's very much like, like even like when we're looking at other things, like, different cottages or whatnot. And she's like, well, if it happens, it happens. You know, if it's right, it's going to happen. You know, if it's not, eh, we can wait. It's not yeah. a big deal. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, luck is actually, it's, it is a very big thing. But also setting yourself up to be in those situations where everything can align is very, very important. So, for example, like when I acquired one of my companies, it had actually been a outsource company that at my old job, I actually outsourced stuff too. And then I stayed in relationships with them. Now they happened to be retiring. So we went in, I went in and talked to the managing partner and the production manager and said, Hey, why don't we buy this company and run it? Because I know they're retiring. And it just so happened that everything aligned to the point where Mm -hmm. it's like, all right, we could buy it. We could actually make it work and actually continue on with it. And then it's become very great for all three of us. But without setting those foundational pieces in play, it would have never happened. Or if I would have just let it go, it would have, or never even thought of it, it just wouldn't have even been an option. Yeah. And that's something I'd like to point out about luck. I, I want to push back against people who just say, oh, he was just lucky. I don't think it's fair to say that in a lot of cases because luck is actually when preparation meets opportunity. And and like you keep repeating in telling us about your luckiness in that you prepared for a lot of these opportunities. If you were not set up to be in a position to take advantage when they presented themselves, you would not be able to have that luck come come to fruition or do anything for you. So I don't think luck is something that just happens necessarily sometimes, but a lot of times it's because you're ready and you were ready to grab these opportunities that came your way. Oh, Chrissy, that was so good. That was so good. You nailed it spot on. (laughs) And it really makes me reflect on this whole journey towards FI. It is exactly what you said, is preparing for those opportunities. And by kind of changing your mindset and adopting the FI and, you know, living below your means, frugality, creating a good savings rate, learning how to invest. All these little things are preparing you for the opportunities when they come along. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's how you get them. And that's why I, I really bristle when people say, oh, you were just lucky or whoever was just lucky, because there's a lot of legwork, a lot of hard work that goes into being ready to grab those opportunities when they come. All right, let's take a quick break uh, for our sponsor for this episode, and we'll be right back to continue our discussion with Jonathan. 
Have you ever listened to a podcast with great content but terrible audio? I know I have, and I've bailed on shows because it's too painful to listen. If you're a podcaster, you need to nail your audio. But if you're like me and have no idea how to do that, I know someone who can help. Max from Fix Audio is Explorify Canada's official editor and mixer, but I also like to call him my personal podcasting instructor. With Max's help, I've effortlessly and affordably improved my audio and podcasting. Now, just so you know, Fix Audio isn't your run-of-the-mill podcast production house. Instead, Max provides white glove treatment with hands-on personalized service. If you're ready to take your podcast to the next level, reach out to Max at Fix Audio. That's F-I-X-A-U-D dot I-O. Well, Jonathan, this has been a fun discussion and uh, it's it's very impressive where you uh, where you've gotten to with your businesses and your passion projects, and want to hear some more about you know where people can look some of that stuff up at the end of the episode. But before we get there, we need to talk a little bit about CoastFi because you brought this up that this is something that you're very interested in, and you've kind of admitted that you're you're pretty much FI. So I don't know if I can let you on the uh, CoastFi bus at the moment, but <laughs> it's an interesting subject because there's a very recent article that came out on uh, from our friends Millennial Revolution, and I read it recently, and we'll put it in the show notes for listeners to have a look at. I think they really missed the mark on what CoastFi is. And and to their credit, as I read through the comments section, there was a very good discussion that went on, and clearly it, it kind of came out of how people interpreted it a little bit differently. And fair play, right? Because all these interpretations of the stages of fire are so individual. But the real sort of CoastFi description came out in the comments. So if you're hearing about this for the first time as a listener, go and check that out. And I also encourage you, we'll also link in the Pioneers, Why You Should Design Your Life Before Retirement article, because that's a really good one talking about this Coastfi thing too. So Jonathan, define what Coastfi is for you. So for me, Coastfi has been a, it's been a very interesting thing because we have enough in our liquid assets. So our actual monetary assets, so our RSP, TFSA, and everything like that, if that continues to grow, by the time my wife hits her pension age and everything like that, we'll never even have to look back. Like, we're we're okay. Now, the reason why I we quasi-consider ourselves fi, like financially independent right now, is because we've designed ourselves where it's like, if we wanted to, or if something catastrophic happened right now, we have three properties. We can sell our main principal residence, which we consider still part of our investment because we don't have to live there. We can actually go live at our uh, secondary residence. And so we've developed it where it's like, yeah, if we got rid of that, we could pay everything off. But CoastFi for us is not counting any of our physical assets. So I don't count our businesses in our, none of our businesses are in our network statement. None of our cars are, none of our equipment is, none of our houses except for our principal residence is in our network statement, which a lot of people will disagree with. And, uh, you know, <laughs> a lot, and that's very, very controversial. But because we have a secondary residence. That's why we don't include the secondary one. We include the primary one. And we know we're going to retire to our secondary residence. But that's where it's like Coastfi to be just Coastfi. I consider it all our money assets. 
So that's the RSP, TFSAs, and everything like that. So by the time that those make it to like the next 15 years, we won't even ever have to think about anything. But we've generated the, that number in the in the future is going to be also where we're going to be taking our kids which like the three kids on vacations for extended vacations for a month or two a year you know or we'll be going and doing like multiple different destinations around the world so it needs to be a lot larger number than just our financial independence number like our financial independence number is a number that we can live a very comfortable life still travel once a year but not to the extent and then also we want to be able to give back and create that generational wealth so that's where it's like we're starting to teach our kids and also being giving to different universities and colleges and everything like that as well so that's all included in the final number so we we're coasting to that now a lot of the times like a lot of coast by is like oh stop everything stop all investment stop everything don't put any more in because it's just gonna grow well you know like many people say if we're paying so much in taxes in the end of everything that we have so much money that we just keep, need to keep paying mm-hmm. taxes and taxes and taxes that's okay because yeah that's a good problem it is to what have it is. It, <laughs> exactly it's a really good problem to have um so that's where it's like i still even though we are quote unquote coast fi i still firmly believe that we need to still keep maxing everything out but that also comes with living so far below our means and chrissy made a good point too it's like the opportunity cost for us. It's like if we, for example, leveraged our, fully leveraged our house and everything like that to do other investments. Well, if something came along and we needed to pull out money or anything like that, we wouldn't have that access to that leverage. So we do have different levers that we can pull on, but I'm fairly risky in like my risk tolerance for our paper assets and stuff like that and paper investments. So that's where it's like my house and our real estate is considered my bond component. So that's where it's like I have no problem investing in long-term ETF stocks and stuff like that. But it's one of those things that we are coasting to the end. But we'll, again it's irrelevant to us because we're happy doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she does have a date. She's like, no, I'm retiring at this <laughs> date. And, but that's a, that's a question and a conversation that we've had too, because like at some point it's not going to be beneficial for her to continue to build her pension or mm-hmm. to continue working. So that's where it's like, we're going to look at doing other stuff with our kids. Like when our kids have grandkids, like when we have grandkids, my wife's like, no, I totally want to be that grandma that totally spoils her grandkids and does so much with them that they never want to leave. And, you know, we want to give them that experience. But again, it's like, it's figuring out how to, it's designing your lifestyle. No, and like, don't get me wrong, it's not easy. Like, you know, I spent a good 15 years slogging it, doing the 80 hours a week and stuff like that. But we always left time for our fun and left time for our adventure and really focused on the family stuff. But, 
you know, now it's kind of one of those times where it's like, yeah, you want to go do this? Sure, let's have a little bit of fun. Let's go do this. So, but now we can almost take the, my wife said it perfectly, like even last week, she's like, listen, if you don't want to take those jobs that you really don't like doing, Mm -hmm. don't worry about it. It's okay. And it's like, yeah, but I kind of still like doing those jobs, even though they're a pain. I still kind of like them. But it's nice that you don't have to do them, right? That is the whole point of FI is that you have the option to choose whether you want to do the jobs you don't like or not, you know, is is not out of obligation or necessity. You're doing it by choice. Exactly. And that is one of the the most important things that you can ever think about is like having a career that you actually enjoy and then you get to pick and choose what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And and it comes down to that. I think what people miss on the with the sort of understanding of Coast FI is that you're not fully at the end yet, but you're allowing yourself to have some choices along the way, right? And you can start designing that lifestyle that you want to live. And maybe it's because you only technically need to earn what your lifestyle costs, then you can make adjustments, right? And you can use that time that you free up. So yeah, it's an interesting one and we could do a whole nother show on that, but we need to wrap this thing up. So Jonathan, uh, you have a really cool website. It's called uh, Farm to Fork Media. And I know you've spoken about lots of ventures, but I had a quick look at this and some of these uh, photographs yeah. are amazing. Like I'm not a foodie by any means, <laughs> but I am hungry by looking at some of your pictures there. Yeah, and they're gorgeous. They're gorgeous, Chrissy. And you know, the other thing is they really bring out some emotion with it. So just to wrap up here, give us, give it, you have the floor to pitch your product, your websites, where people can see your, your beautiful photography work, et cetera. Wrap it up, John. So yeah, you can definitely check out farmtoforkmedia.ca. It's one of our new ventures that we do. It's specializing in agriculture and food photography. If you've seen the milk calendar in Canada, I'm actually the photographer that shoots the milk calendar. (laughs) Very cool. (laughs) So that is that. But really the best way to find me is on Instagram. It's just at John Belaski. You'll see a lot of my professional sports athlete stuff there. You'll see all the way through to a bunch of different content that we create and and, uh, but yeah, Instagram is the best way to reach out. And, you know, I'm a, I am a Fujifilm ex-photographer ambassador, so I do work with them and teach and all that type of stuff for, uh, for Fuji as well. So, What an amazing life you've created for yourself. And I'm so impressed how you have taken the principles of what you learned from the childhood you had, uh, where you've set up all these redundancies and backups for your businesses. And now you've applied that to your own personal finances with all the extra cushioning that you've built in so that you you, you have your liquid investments for your Coast Fi plan, but you've got all these other businesses, these properties, and your wife's incoming still coming in, income still coming in. All of that is combined to give you a very secure path to Fi eventually. So I, I'd like to congratulate congratulate you on everything you've done. And I'm, I'm so impressed. And you live an amazing life. So good for you and your wife for getting that all set up. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks so much for joining us, Jonathan. Awesome. It was very great to be here with you guys tonight. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've been getting value from our content, please support us in the following ways. Leave us a review and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Tell your friends and family about us or use our referral links at explorefycanada.ca forward slash recommendations. All of our show notes can be found at explorefycanada.ca. 
You can also find us on our other websites, figarage.ca or eatsleepbreathefi.com. Our show is edited and mixed by Max Desmarais at Fix Audio. That's F-I-X-A-U-D dot I-O. Episode transcripts were created in otter.ai.